0: It is really such a blessing to be here with you this morning. Um, My name is Noah. If I look somewhat familiar, it's because I was actually here um, last March. Uh, It was actually March 17th. I went back through and and looked when I had been here. At that time, I was in Vermilion at Grace Baptist Church with um, Pastor Steve Ford and um, with the Equip Campus Ministry there. And then um, this past November, I just got married so then I had moved to Sioux Falls over the summer, and I've been a, um, a part of Connection since then, and me and my wife, Kristen, are actually su- pursuing um, covenantal membership with the people there. Um, so that's just a little bit about me and how I got to be with you this morning. Um, one thing before we do open G- God's Word together, because we are a family through Jesus, I would just ask that all of you guys over here and here and even in the back, could we just come closer together? Because if we have the common bond of Jesus, I do believe that it would be good for us um, to to even just sit closer to the front and come together. Would you just be willing to do that? Kind of what I would even say, it's like in the same way of how we go to a family gathering, right, to see our cousins and aunts and uncles and grandparents and everything. That should be the same way we come together. Like we're not just going to go sit at our own table with I'm not just gonna go sit at my own table and ignore my grandma when I go see my family. And it's kind of what I would say in the same way of that. So thank you for doing that. Seriously, thank you very much. Great, thank you guys so much. And I just wanna again say, like it is so humbling to be here before you this morning. Um, And I know, as others have said before me, before we get started, um, specifically, I'm thinking of my friend Troy, as I got correct on this, is, I hope you don't see me as just somebody who's coming in this morning to fill in while you don't have a pastor. Um, But really know that I'm excited to be here, and I'm excited to be a part of what God is doing here with us, um, with you guys, here at Crosspoint and with us at Connection. And we love you. And right now across the city, there is over 100 people who are praying for you regularly and who love you. Um, And just wanted to remind you of that. And my hope is that you wouldn't just rest in in the fact, or you wouldn't be able to rest in the fact that you don't have a pastor or, or that I'm here, but rather we could rest in something better. And that rest would be the rest that Jesus brings. And that that rest is not gone. Um, and the author of Hebrews is going to show that to us this morning. And the other thing I get to point you to is that, like, I am 23 years old. I'm one of the, the younger people in this room right now. And I don't have the wisdom, and my parents are here and they could attest to this. I do not have the wisdom in myself that you probably yourself don't have. What I do have is God's word that we can open up together and look at to see what he would have to tell us. So I want to point to that. I can boast in God's word, but not my own wisdom, because there is many, many days I feel like I don't have much, but then I can come to the Lord and and he brings it for me. So if you would um, turn your Bibles with me to Hebrews chapter 4. We're going to be reading verses 1 through 11. Um, But before we read that, just to give you a little um, snippet about the book of Hebrews. Um, So if you were to start in Hebrews chapter 1 and read all the way through it, it would take you about 50 minutes, so not quite an hour. And if you read it, it kind of reads similarly to reading a sermon. So if you were to pull up a sermon from John Piper and read through it, and then you would read through Hebrews, you'd say, oh, that's why this sounds familiar, it's because it reads that way. And And I actually believe it was originally a sermon with with very good reason. Um, And the book is full of a mixture of the Old Testament law and sacrifices in relation to Jesus' coming and who he was. And like the slogan of the book could be, Jesus is better than Moses, or Jesus is better than the angels, or the sacrifices, or just Jesus is better. And the book is actually written to believers Um, But however scattered throughout it, there is warnings. So the first would be warnings to believers to persevere in their faith. Um, There's warnings to unbelievers who were intellectually convinced of the gospel. And there's also warnings to unbelievers who were attracted to the gospel of Jesus, but who didn't reach any final conviction on him, and they never knew him. So with kind of some of that context in mind, let's read together, um, starting in verse 1 of Hebrews chapter 4. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them. But the message they heard did not benefit them, There remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Let's pray and ask God for his help this morning. God, thank you so much that we can gather together. And Lord, I pray that this morning we would rest in the rest of completion. Thank you for your word that you have given us and that there is opportunity to believe in you and enter your rest. And I pray, God, that we would look to Jesus and lay aside our heavy burdens and our lives onto you so that we may hear from you this morning. And help me to speak clearly, Lord, that the words would not be my words, but the words that you would want us to hear. In Jesus' name we come before you. Amen. So to kind of see where we came from before we get into verse 1 of chapter 4 of Hebrews here, we kind of got to backtrack a little bit, just one verse, to verse 19 of chapter 3 where it says, So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. The they is the Israelites. So clearly it was unbelief that kept the people of Israel from entering the promised land and the rest that God had promised them. The wilderness generation that died in the wilderness, that that had perished in the wilderness, and those who did not believe in God's promises that he made. So the author had just went through telling the hearers that they must exhort one another to actually care enough about each other, um, that every day they would get in each other's lives and exhort each other to not let distrust in God creep into their lives, and destroy their lives. And we get that from verses 12 and 13 of chapter 3, where it says, "...take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an, un- an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin." So we can kind of see that that is there. And so one conclusion to draw from verse 19 before our text for today is that unbelief is so dangerous and a constant temptation that we must urge each other towards belief in the gospel and God's promises. And my hope is that even we at Connection Church have helped push you, Crosspoint Church, towards trusting in God and His promises. What I want you to be able to see this morning is that unbelief is so dangerous and a constant temptation because our entering into God's rest depends on faith and belief in his promises. So with some of that in mind to get to where we are now at chapter 4, let's start in verse 1 where it says, Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. It's almost as if you read that verse in a a reverse order. It would maybe make more sense. So you could flip it where it would say, Let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it, while the promise of entering his rest still stands. So the motivation comes because God's rest can still be entered. This promise of rest still stands. And so the conclusion with the word, so therefore, at the beginning of verse 1, is that we should what? It says, therefore, let us fear. And we should fear because to enter God's rest is still the goal. But what should we fear? And it gets answered in that verse. It says, fear lest any of you seem to have come short of God's rest. So what we find as we go through this passage is that the only one who should fear the future um, and who fears the future is the one who has not believed the promises of God to redeem us in Christ. And for those of us who have received the rest that comes from God's redemption in Christ, we have nothing to fear. So then that makes me kind of ask the question, Is where are you personally at this morning? Are you s- sitting in a position where you have rested in the grace of God through Jesus, so you would call yourself a believer? Or maybe you wouldn't call yourself a believer and you're not resting in that. Like, how's your soul? Does it have bags under its eyes if it was a person? Would it have bags under its eyes? Is that how your soul feels? Because this passage in, invites us in to take part in God's rest that he has for us. It doesn't just and God doesn't just want to leave us in a spot where that's the case of of how we're always feeling within our soul that we would have bags underneath our eyes. He gives us rest. And that may be something hard to hear. And even for the original hearers, it would have been easy for them to hear this and think that the Canaan rest that they were supposed to enter had no correlation to them. So it brings home the content of this promise, which is entering God's rest. His rest, it's God's rest and the rest that only he can give. Nothing else can bring it, right? No better job, no, not more money, not a church full of people, not um, giving away everything. That is not going to bring ultimate rest. Ultimate rest is something that just comes from God, and all who profess to be believers should seek to make sure that they don't come short of the goal and just turn to a religious system or something other than Jesus. And it's how? It's through belief. It's through faith. And maybe even this morning, there's a fear in you that you've missed God's rest for your life because this morning doesn't look exactly like you thought it would. or Maybe your life doesn't look exactly like you thought it would. So, we're talking about faith and fear together. And to kind of help with that, um, I just want to share a direct quote from a guy named John Bloom, who he writes for John Piper. And it says this Faith and fear are often described as opposites, but in reality, that's not how it works. The kind of fear the Bible most often addresses, whether positively, out of Deuteronomy 6.13, which says, It is the Lord your God you shall fear, him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. So that would be a positive fear. Or a negative fear from Jesus' mouth in Luke 12. It says, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body, and after that have nothing more that they can do. So both a positive and a negative fear is actually born out of faith. It results from a promise or threat that we believe. So it's not so much a faithless fear that inhibits a more radical life of Christ-like love, but rather a misplaced fear. It's fear of the wrong thing. In other words, faith in the wrong thing produces the wrong fear. And faith in the wrong thing is at the root of so many of our problems, in the worst of our miseries, and so often, the heart of our sin. So you can see that that faith in the wrong thing is going to produce the wrong fear in us. We're not going to feel rightly in in the way that we should. And this idea of fear is explained more in verse 2. And verse 2 gives us a reason for the fear. Verse 2 says, For good news came to us just as to them. But the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. So literally the verse would say, the gospel has been preached to us as it was to them. And remember, the them in this passage is Israel. So thousands and thousands of years ago, the good news was still preached to them. Just as the same way that we're looking at hearing good news preached to us this morning from God's word. Um, And I just have the first example among many of these Good news, promises from God. The one I want to share with you is from Exodus chapter 34, um, verses 6 and 7. It says, The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. So you see, the good news that the people of Israel heard was news of mercy and grace. Right, it's, good, it's God's good news and promise of bringing them into the promised land, which was Canaan. And we see that later on in Numbers chapter 14, verses 8 and 9, where it says, If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, and do not fear the people of the land, for they are bred for us. Their protection is removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them." So you see that their fear was placed in the right thing when they were looking to God and seeking to trust in Him and have their faith in Him rather than what? Rather than fearing the people who may attack them or um, fearing not entering into the promised land. But it was when they trusted in God's promises that their faith was right before Him so they they were fearing Him in the right way. And so this writer is saying that we can relate to those same Israel people um, because they heard the gospel, and this, the, the hearers of Hebrews heard the gospel the same way Israel had. So it wasn't the foundation of the gospel, which is the life and death of Jesus as we know it in light of his coming, but still the promise that God is merciful and God forgives sins and he's slow to anger and he's gracious And that God forgives sins and promises rest and he promises joy for those who trust him. So there's a very similar situation between the people of Israel and the writer's audience. And the point is, is that from verse 2, is that this good news was not believed by Israel, so they did not enter God's rest. They didn't enter his promised joy that he had for them. And then the next half of verse 2, it says, But the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. In other words, they didn't believe the good news that was proclaimed to them. They distrusted and doubted God, and they did not have faith in his promise to give them a better future than they had in Egypt. And so they did what? They rebelled and they gave up on God and they turned around and went back to their old life. A clear picture that if you grew up in church would be an example of um, when Moses went on the mountain and what did the people build? An idol, a golden calf. Right? They rebelled against God because they didn't trust that he was going to provide for them. And so what was the result of the people of Israel's unbelief? Verse 2 says that the promise did not benefit them. It didn't profit them. It was of no value to them. It did not save them. They didn't enter God's rest. They fell in the wilderness. Verse 3 basically says that their carcasses were stacked up in the wilderness in, in chapter 3. So God swore in his wrath that they would never enter his rest, which is a picture for us, not entering his rest, which is a picture of missing heaven. It's a reason for why we should fight against unbelief. Because what did verse 19 say? They did not enter because of unbelief. Therefore, fight against unbelief in verse 1. Because when the good news to Israel was not received with faith, it profited them nothing and they died in the wilderness. Verse 2. The main point is, avoid hearing the promises of God and not trusting them. Because the same thing will happen to you as it did to them. We will not enter into God's rest if we do not trust his promises that we have for him. So that is a main point of the paragraph that is before us today. Because it even sums up in verse 11 where he says, Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. So you can see that through this here, the Christian life is a day-by-day, moment-by-moment trust in the promises of God to help us, to guide us, to take care of us, to forgive us, um, to bring us to a peace uh, of rest for our souls, for greater joy than we can ever even imagine. All things that will not be gained by trusting in any promises of this world. And the day-by-day trust in the promises of God is definitely not automatic, but rather it flows from daily gi- diligence and the result of proper fear. And before I leave you or move on this morning, I just want us to think a little more about this fear from verse 1. Because I don't want you sitting in front of me or us going through this, and you're like, no way, well, you're wrong. Like, how, what the heck, faith and fear... That doesn't really sound like rest to me if I'm always living in a spot of fear. That's messed up. It's not what I expected to hear this morning. But that is what the text is inviting us to look at. To even hear two other verses, one from Jesus and one from Paul. Um, in Luke chapter 11, Jesus tells people to fear the one who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Or from Paul in Romans chapter 11, He says that they were broken off because of their unbelief. But you stand fast through faith, so you do not become proud, but fear. Because remember, it's a misplaced fear. It's faith in the wrong thing. That's what produces the fear. So if your fear is in the wrong thing, you won't find the rest that you desire. But if it is in the right thing, and the rest is possible. So with this in mind, that we are to live the Christian life with fear, what does that mean? Because if we're striving to enter a life lived in rest, fear doesn't sound like it belongs. Well, we can still look at what the author of Hebrews said, even though he's talking about fear. In chapter 2, verse 15, he says, Christ died to deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. So hear this loud and clear from the same author. From God's word, Christ died to deliver you and me from slavery fear. Christ Jesus wants a fearless people, a people who aren't afraid to share their faith with others, a people who aren't afraid to go overseas where they may be killed. People fearless because they have a trust in God that causes them to abide in Him and they know that they can rely on Him. It's a faith in the promises of God that will make us fearless in the threats of this world. It's trust in the reality that God sent Jesus to redeem us in Christ Jesus. So fight to trust in the promises of God because as long as you're trusting in his promises, you can be completely fearless in the face of everything else, including not knowing exactly what direction as a church you're necessarily going. You can have confidence because of Jesus. The last verse in chapter 4 even tells us that. It says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We can have confidence because God sits on a throne of grace. Not a throne of something else, but grace that he's giving out to us. And it's something we can receive mercy as we come to him on that throne of grace. And we can find help in a time of need. And that diminishes fear to know that we have a great and glorious God who can help us in every time of need. So if we know that about God, that he's sitting on a throne of grace, that can help us to run towards his open arms for help. We can have confidence through Jesus to be able to do that, to then live life in a place of rest and fearlessness because of our faith in him. So before I leave you this morning, though, we have like seven more verses To go through. And so we need to go through those yet. And the whole purpose of everything else that was written, verses 3 through 10, was to support the main point that we had just gone through. And it was also to show that Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 11, where Jesus says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. It's the invitation to anybody who will repent and believe in him is a rest for your soul. And the writer of Hebrews is going to show us that. So now we can look at verse 4. First, the writer starts with um, creation. It says, For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. So we've seen that before in Genesis chapter 2, verse 2. And it's kind of funny how it's quoted because he said somewhere this was spoken of before, that God rested on the seventh day. Well, it's because at this point in time, they didn't have a Bible with chapters and verses yet, so he's not going to be able to quote Genesis 2, verse 2, because they didn't have it yet. But what the writer sees in this, right, is a restful, peaceful, sovereign God who has rest and peace and a place of joy where his people can enjoy fellowship with him. And if you look at the original language, it's, it's a Sabbath rest, because on the seventh day, God rested. But in reality, this rest lasts forever. It's a rest of completion, not a rest of being tired. The same thing that's a, a rest and completion in the completed work of Jesus on the cross for us to, to get to God the Father, it's, it's also a picture of that. God's completed work. Then, the next thing, once he moves from creation, if you look at verse 5, he shows the period of the time that Israel was wandering in the wilderness and rebelling against God. Verse 5 says, um, Again, in this passage, he said, They shall not enter my rest. So the promised land to the people of Israel is just a picture of entering God's rest. And their unbelieving rebellion excluded them from the land of Canaan, from the promised land. So this, ber- this verse asks the question if the rest of the t- from the time of creation is still there. So is that rest even available if they, shouldn't, if they weren't able to enter it? Well, then he answers it in verse 8. Because he says, For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So if you've read through the Old Testament, you would know that Joshua eventually led the people to the land of Canaan. So if Joshua would have led the people to um, the final rest, then the rest that I've talked about this morning would have been gone. But God still spoke of a rest far later on, thousands of years later. But in other words, Joshua did give the people some relief. But it wasn't the final rest that God had planned. His plan was never, his his ultimate plan was never that they would just enter the land of Canaan and that would be the final rest for his people. And we know this because God spoke of another day of rest to come many years later through David. And that's in verse 7. Which says, again, he appoints a certain day today saying through David so long afterward in the words already quoted, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. And that's quoted directly from Psalm 95, a psalm written by David. Again, thousands of years after Joshua. Basically, even though the people did not make it to the, did make it to the promised land, God is still holding out his hand for salvation rest. And that's today. So praise him that that was not the end and that Jesus came because Jesus brought us the ultimate rest for our souls that we need. And then the writer concludes with verses 9 and 10 where he says, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God that this time is not closed and that, that this is the foundation of the, the word for us today. The door is not shut. The time is not past. We still can enter God's rest. And Verse 10 says, forever who has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. And so if you're a believer, you can sit in a position where you no longer have to earn anything from God. It's not your responsibility but Jesus bore the brunt of that, the entirety of it for your soul, so that you may have the eternal rest with God the Father. So I urge you this morning, there is one way to the fulfilling rest of God and the fulfilling rest of your soul. And anyone who is willing to put their faith in the promises of God and repent of their sins and turn towards God through the redeeming blood of Jesus and does not throw it away, is one of the people of God who will get to experience his rest. So please, while the day is still today, this morning, put your trust in God and in his rest that he gives. Let's pray. God, your rest is available for us today, and I praise you for that so much. In a room full of people, even this morning, hear that if someone is not in that rest and resting in you, that you would call their name and that they would be able to see that. And I pray for those of us who trust you and who are seeking to, to lean into your promises would see that you are a good God who welcomes us to enter that rest, that our souls wouldn't have bags under their eyes anymore. And Lord, thank you for this morning that we're able to hear from your word and that we may believe in you. In Jesus' name, amen.